Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. As I begin my message today, I just want to admit right off the top that there are many different people here, same as in first service, from many different backgrounds that are represented in this church. I'm thankful for this. We welcome the diversity of people uh, of Central, you know, call Central their home, and people that attend as guests from time to time. If you think about in this room, there are people from extremely different upbringings, different economic classes, different vocations, different life stages, and different belief systems. When we're talking about belief systems here, there are those of you who've been serving Jesus and following Jesus as your Lord and Savior possibly for decades. Maybe some of you just recently made that commitment to the Lord. Maybe some of you haven't made it yet and you're just considering the claims of Jesus and you're looking in the Bible and you're just wondering, you know, what does this Jesus have to do with my life? What would happen? What would change in my life if I actually did surrender myself to him? And some of you might not even think that a God or a Jesus exists. And maybe you're just here today because somebody uh, invited you because it was Easter Sunday. I want, you to, I want you to know today that every single one of you, no matter where you are, you're welcome here at this church. Whatever you believe, it doesn't make us nervous. It's not gonna make us force you to believe something. It's not gonna make, you, make us coerce you into changing your mind. There's an urgency in my heart that every person that's here would know Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? As a Bible-believing Christian church, we believe that there are absolute rewards and consequences to whether you decide to follow Jesus or not. But we also respect and we also know God had a choice when he created each one of you. And he gave you what's called free will. So when you come into a building like this, you don't get coerced. You don't get forced to make a decision. But God gave you a free will to choose to follow Jesus. See, because God didn't create us to become puppets, right? He's not up, he's not up in heaven trying to control us. What he's doing is he's ushering you into his presence by a wooing of the Holy Spirit saying, I love you. I love you. It's through that message of God's love that he wants you to come into his family and come into his kingdom. But no matter where you are in your life right now, we just welcome you to be a part of this church. So no matter if you've been here for years or maybe you are just visiting with us one time today, we welcome you. Whether you think your life is all right and you have it all together or maybe your life is falling apart, we welcome you here today. Whether you had like a great Sunday morning so far today with your kids, or maybe you're by yourself and it was excellent, or maybe your day was crazy so far and hectic, we still welcome you. In fact, even if you went through this in our parking lot today, we still welcome you here. Why don't you watch this? Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into ch- Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does this jacket go with this shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents, expected mother. Who doesn't have a parking spot these days? I have been here 27 years. I deserve respect. Oh, yeah, go ahead, take my parking spot. She, listen, she probably needs Jesus more than me, honestly. Use your mirror. How long does it take to back out of a... 
Jesus, give me strength. This is so str- Honestly, there better be coffee. There better be coffee. Y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot. Oh, look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the- I will move Hey, are that you on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. All right. So maybe that was you today. I don't know. <laughs> but you're still welcome here. And we do have services online and we do have shuttles. <laughs> but we're happy you made it into the building. <laughs> And hopefully you feel welcomed here. Really, no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter where you are in life, what I want to do is set out a challenge before each one of you today. I want to set out a challenge to those of you who call Central your home. I want to set out that same challenge to those of you who are just our guests for this one day. It's in this booklet right here. If you want to grab it, you received it today. It's called Challenge 22. What we're doing is setting out a challenge that you would give God 22 days to let him demonstrate his power and his presence in your life. And what we believe here at Central is that you'll never be the same if you do that. Within these 22 days, if you flip open uh, the the front of this booklet, these 22 days are comprised of just a few things and I wanna go over them with you. The first is four, four worship services. You're already in one of them today. So you you were part of the challenge and didn't even know it. Now you're, you're already here today And it's three more Sundays. And I do, I I challenge you from a heart of love. If you do not have church attendance in your regular routine, I'm asking you to give God three more Sundays. I believe through the preaching of God's word today and through worship today and then through these next three weeks that if you just open up your heart and receive ministry, especially from the love of this church as well, that you will never be the same. So I'd ask you, interrupt your schedule, interrupt your daily plans, and come back here three more weeks after today. There'll be a total of four church services, worship services. The three underneath there are three moments of giving thanks. You know, I think I realize life can become so busy sometimes that we, we fail to just stop and give thanks sometimes. So if you're at a point in your life right now where you can at least admit that there's a God who created you and a God who loves you, then there's a reason to give thanks, right? Like your eyes popped open today and you took your first breath of being awake. There's two reasons that you can give thanks, right? So I believe if we stop, if, we, if we're together with the family of God, regardless of where you are in your belief system right now, if you hear the preaching of God's word and you're a part of worship and on Saturday mornings, you just take a moment. I don't care if it's two minutes, 20 minutes, two hours, whatever. And you just think about things that happen in your week and you can give God credit for what he's done, I believe God's gonna begin to change your heart through that. And then we see 15. There's 15 readings from Colossians. Some of you might not even own a Bible. The altar team's gonna be here at the end of service. We have Bibles up here. We'll give them to you. What I want you to do on the back, in the back of the booklet here is a reading plan. And what it basically does is it takes you Monday through Friday starting tomorrow, and then Monday through Friday the next two weeks. So it's three weeks Five days a week, it's 15 days. It's all marked out for you by date. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time and you already read your word a lot, you might think, well, what's going on here? There's only like five verses. Yeah, I want it that way. I want it to be simple, 
straightforward. I want somebody to be able to sit down with their child by themselves, with their spouse, whatever. I want you to read five or six verses that are there. And I want you just to take a minute and say, God, what does this mean to me? What do you want to speak to me through these verses? How can I apply this to my life? What my prayer is, is that God is actually going to do something miraculously through your life. If you say, I'm committing myself, God, I'm going to give you 22 days to show up in power through the presence of your Holy Spirit. I'm going to come, receive the word. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give you thanks. And I'm going to be in your word just for a few minutes and ask you what you want to do. I believe that you will never be the same. So I want you to think throughout the remainder of this service if you want to commit to that. It's on our connection card. And again, even if you're visiting from out of town, but you're local enough and you're not involved in a church, I'm inviting you. I'm challenging you. Come back. Give God a chance and see what he won't do in your life. There's some pages in the middle just to be able to record what God's saying to you, what he's speaking to you. People think that they need this cloud to descend upon them for God to speak. Now listen, when you open up your heart to the Lord and you open up his word and you ask him questions, those thoughts that you're having, those impressions that are leading you to a path of peace, that's the Lord speaking to you. Don't overthink this. Start writing down some things you're, you're Uh, that you're thinking we have leaders here, we have pastors here that'd be more than willing and interested in meeting with you and talking with you. The entire church is actually going through this. If you have a child in preschool, they're gonna get this handout today. There's a simple verse from Colossians that you can help your child uh, memorize over these next 21 days. If your child is in super church, that means elementary, kindergarten through fifth grade, they're gonna receive this as well. And my wife's over there. She's teaching Sunday or uh, super church today. And she's encouraging them. Tell your mom, tell your dad, you wanna come back for the next three weeks. We're not trying to hide this. We want you to give God a chance. And then there's just one verse on the back uh, for your child to read each day. But you're more than welcome to read with them through this entire book of Colossians. This is where we're gonna camp out for this challenge 22. It's called Rising Above the chaos. And how many of you know there's chaos in this life? Yeah, there's chaos here. But we have Jesus, so we're good. You know, I was thinking about when I woke up today, even over the last few days, across this world, as, as the sun rises on each aspect of the globe, there are churches across the world that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We said it before, we're a Christian Bible-believing church, so we declare Jesus is alive and well. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. His work is finished. He's interceding on behalf of us. He has sent his Holy Spirit to this earth. And that same spirit that was in Jesus, listen, the Bible says this, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. That's an amazing reality if you're a Christian. Right? We look at this cross and we celebrated what Jesus did on this cross on Friday night at our Good Friday service. What we should have is an empty tomb here with a rock rolled away. Because inside that tomb, gee, we were, my boys and I were just talking about this uh, the, the, the last couple of days. I can imagine, I can only imagine what was happening inside that tomb as Jesus' body lay dead, lifeless. His spirit's alive, but his body's dead. There had to be that one point where And that heart starts beating. And that blood starts flowing. And there's that resurrection power that raised him up, that allowed him to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords over our lives and over all creation. That same spirit 
that started pumping blood through Jesus' veins once again lives in you if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's a resurrection power that we need to understand desperately in today's world. So we declare those things as a Christian church. And in the same time, there are people across the congregation. My life has it too. It can get chaotic at times, right? Our schedules get full. My calendar on my phone, list after list after list of things to do. I try to fool myself sometimes too. People will say, oh, you're really busy. You know, parent of four kids. No, I'm not busy. I'm productive. There's a difference, right? You can remain busy and get lost in this world, or you could be productive doing the things God created you to do. But I believe that there's chaos in each one of our lives. I believe that those things are external circumstances that we can't get rid of. But I believe that Jesus wants to teach us through his Holy Spirit how to rise above the chaos. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now, you have to ask yourself, how is life going right now on my own? How am I going to work this out? What's my plan when things go wrong in life? What's my plan if disaster or tragedy strikes? I believe when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the answer. That peace, that confidence, that precision of where God's taken you in life is all through the presence of Jesus in your life. I was thinking about Resurrection Sunday. And I think when we read these verses in the Bible, we miss the chaos that was actually going on this morning. Like we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and we have Peter and John, and we're picturing all these things going on. But I want you to put yourself, now God had this all under control. He knew exactly what was going on. I mean, if you know, God's never in the midst of chaos. He's in our midst, right, when we're in chaos. He's never in chaos himself. He's doing fine right now, right? You don't ever see Jesus being affected by the chaos around him. And we have the same spirit in us, and you can have the same spirit in you that Jesus had in him. But if we see in Matthew 28, most of the verses will be up here. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. I'm going to bounce around just a little bit and eventually end up in Colossians chapter 1. It says here, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tombs. They were taking spices to go visit Jesus' body. Verse 2 says, suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. How many of you know there was some chaos <laughs> this morning for Mary Magdalene and the other Mary? Chaos simply means disorder and confusion. How many of you think a great earthquake was in the plan for the day? Right? Okay, Mary, do you have your spices? Yeah. Do you have your extra, you know, your umbrella in case it rains? Yeah. Earthquake? Yeah, check. No, this probably was not in their plans. But they're making their way to the tomb as an act of mourning. Right? They're not making the connection of the resurrection yet. And the earth begins to shake because an angel has come down. It was not in their plans, and I guarantee it caused chaos in their mind. Yes, they believed in Jesus, but there was chaos occurring on this earth. And then this angel, with his face shining like lightning... That probably did something to them. In fact, even as the angel sits down to take a rest, I love that. The angel comes down, rolls this stone over, and then he just sits down at a place of peace and rest in the midst of chaos. And you even see some of the guards falling, it says, into a dead faint. How many of you know their morning was filled with chaos? They weren't expecting the angel. 
They weren't expecting the face. They weren't expecting the earthquake. And they surely weren't expecting the body that was laying in that tomb to come back to life. There was a lot of chaos surrounding the resurrection. The angel speaks to the women in verse 5. It says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. Listen, Jesus never lets us down. He keeps to his word. Everything he said in this book, he's going to do or he's already done it. You have to agree with that. Believe in faith that he's going to fulfill his word and you'll see it happen in your life. He says, come see where the body was laying. And in verse 7 it says, go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now we see Mary actually going to tell the disciples in John chapter 20. Same story of resurrection, just a different picture of it. So John wrote this book and he says, so she came running to Peter, to Simon Peter and the other disciple. You might not know this, but John is actually the other disciple. He wrote the book, but he refers to himself as the other disciple. I like how he, he, t- he talks about himself too. He says, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. He's like, he went to Simon, she went out and told Simon Peter, but the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> Listen, these guys did not have it all together. And Jesus entrusted the message of the gospel with them. You don't have to have your life all together to come to Jesus. You understand that? He just asked us just to come. No matter how you are, no matter where you are in life, just come. He'll put the pieces back together. He'll do the reconstruction that's necessary from the inside out. So John says... I'm sorry, Mary says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. and We don't know where they have put him. So there's still not a revelation that he's alive yet. It says, so the Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love this too. They are so competitive. John's like writing, you know, his rendition of the resurrection. He's like, what's sorry, this is about 30 years after Jesus died and came back to life. He's like writing, it's like, how did I want to remember this day? Okay. Peter and I, we started booking toward the tomb. We're running really fast, but I won. I won. (laughs) I was looking over my notes last night. I'm like, if my three boys ever wrote an experience about Jesus, they would write the same way. But I won. I was stronger. I beat this person. He had to write it in there. I wonder if Peter ever got a chance to write or read this and think like, John, why do you have to put that part in there? I just love it. (laughs) I lost my place. (laughs) In verse 8, it said, finally, oh, so through, through some of those verses, you see Peter goes into the tomb. He finds the cloth. And in verse 8, it says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, right? Just to remind you guys, I won the race again. Went inside also. It says, he saw and he believed. Now, if you stop there, you think like there's a full belief. There's a full faith in what has happened. Now, he believed that there was a resurrection that happened. He believed that Jesus raised from the dead. But in verse 9, it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So John believed, but he still didn't understand, which means there was faith present in his life, but there was still chaos in his mind. I started to think about this. We could ask a one-point question, a one-point test to probably every single one of you in this room to say, do you believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Yes or no? And I'd say 99% of you would pass that test with flying colors. Yes. 
he did. But the jump that I feel like some people don't make or have a hard time making is connecting the resurrection of Jesus. You believed it happened, but you also understand what Scripture said about Jesus and what happened because he was raised from the dead. So what happens is this. It's no longer putting a pause on your life for 90 minutes to come on Easter Sunday to say, he's risen, he is risen indeed, yes, Jesus is risen. And then Monday morning you wake up cranky and you forget Jesus is still risen. Are you with me? Tuesday morning, guess what? Jesus will still be alive. Wednesday night, Jesus, yep, still alive. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Jesus, yep, still at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit's still working in your life. But there has to be a connection between the resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday and what Scripture said he had to rise from the dead for. For the forgiveness of sins. For the wiping away of all the guilty conscience that we have when we sin. For the freedom from sin. And for much, much more. And that's what my hope is today, is that every person, no matter how long you've been a believer, or if you're still considering the claims of Christ, is there's that, that, that molding together, that, that, that fusion of the resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday and the Christ who is still alive and well Monday morning when you leave for work or when you go to do your daily chores. Amen? You guys okay? I don't believe the chaos is going anywhere. I believe that as we continue to do what we're called to do, things will continue to get busy. Our schedules will continue to get filled. In some of your lives, though, maybe some of you have relationships that might be falling apart. Maybe some of your debt continues to rise. Maybe you feel like your schedule is completely out of control. I want you to know you're searching for a solution. I can already tell you that. Anytime we face a problem in life, we search for a solution, right? What we see across the world, though, is people search for solutions at the magazine rack, right, at Walmart, seven tips to a better whatever. Okay, I'll take this. There's a training video. I'll buy a book. And it's all self-help, and we just try and try. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. Listen, that's not the solution. The solution is Jesus. As simple as that. The solution has a name. His name is Jesus. He's alive. And his spirit wants to work through your life. But there has to be the connection from the empty tomb to your daily life. That he actually wants to work in your life in the everyday happenings. You know, for the duration of, of this message series over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking through the book of Colossians like I mentioned before. I just want to give you a quick introduction. I'm going to read a few verses before we watch uh, individuals receive, uh, go through water baptism as a part of today's service. The book of Colossians actually started out as a letter. And there was a guy named Paul. Can you say Paul? There was a guy named Paul that wrote the book. He wrote the book. He was an apostle. So he was called to be an apostle by God himself. He wrote the book to a small city that had churches in that city. But it was a smaller city. And that name, the city was named Colossae. So you could tell how if he wrote a letter to the city of Colossae, that it was later named Colossians. He was writing to people who already believed in Jesus. But what was happening in that city is what I believe happens in our cities across America today. There were people that were claiming to have a superior knowledge. So they were like, listen, we know certain things that you don't know, but you need to know these things or you can't come to Christ. 
what they were doing is they were setting up a system of works and knowledge that would be required before you came to Christ. So people were starting to get confused because what they're doing now, they're mixing in a little bit of worldly philosophy with a little bit of Jesus and they think that they were Christian. Paul was making it clear. You can't sprinkle a little bit of Jesus with your worldly ways and call yourself saved. You can't sprinkle a little bit of resurrection Jesus on Easter Sunday and then go back to living your normal lifestyle and, and know that you're at peace with God. So Paul was trying to make this clear. Remove yourself from the worldly philosophies. Remove yourself from all the self-help ways and come to an end of yourself. Realize I can't help myself. I need to come to Jesus, that he would give me clarity and he would rise me above the chaos. So in Colossians 1, starting at verse 1, it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. It says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how the letter starts out. This wasn't meant to be a book of the Bible when he wrote it, right? He didn't know it was gonna be bound in this leather thing thousands of years later. He was writing to real people in a real city who were struggling with the mixture of the world and Jesus. Down at verse 11, he says, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Now, I think people get this backwards, verse 11 and into verse 12. He says, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. I think that a lot of times, we think we need to have joy in our life, and that will give us something to give thanks about. But I think that's backwards. I actually believe if we start giving thanks to our Father for the things He's already doing, then joy will be produced in our hearts. I believe He's saying, may you have joy, always being thankful. So when you wake up tired, you wake up cranky, you wake up and things still aren't fixed in your life, you give him thanks. You give him thanks because there's breath in your lungs. You give him thanks because he's given you another day to serve him. You give him thanks because he's given you opportunities to live an exciting life with him. Are you with me? There's opportunities to give thanks before you feel the joy. And I believe if we create an attitude and a lifestyle of thanksgiving, we will have joy. That's why in Challenge 22, I'm not saying, hey, take the next three Saturdays to have joy, right? The reality is your life might be a wreck right now. I'm saying take the next three Saturdays to give thanks, to recognize what he's already doing in your life. And I believe that joy is gonna start to well up in your soul. In that second sentence, verse 12, he says, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. In the Old Testament, in the, whole, in the first Old Testament, the people of God were the Israelites. So they were the ones that were able to get right with God. And even through the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus said he was here you know, for the Israelites, for God's people. But when he died on that cross and shed his blood and he came back to life, the Bible says that he came for everyone. So he came not just for Jew, but people who were called the Gentiles. We would fit into that category. It was people that weren't from a Jewish descent, but any other descent from all of history. And what it says here is this. If we receive him, if we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we actually get to partake in that inheritance. Picture what an inheritance is. 
A lot of times we think about it financially, where uh, the parents will, will accumulate you know, a, a mass of wealth, and then when that parent uh, passes away, that child gets, receives the inheritance to carry on and do what they wish with it. What God's saying, if you can just picture what God owns in heaven, I'm not just talking about material, I'm talking about spiritual blessings and everything else. We actually get to partake in the blessings of the Father if we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It says if we're living in the light, what happens when we're in darkness? Right, you can't see, you're confused, there's no clear path. But it's saying when you choose to live in the light, that doesn't mean you have the flashlight, it doesn't mean you have control. It's saying, God, I'm giving, I'm giving the lordship of my life over to you so you can shine the light of your word on my path and I can have a clear path for the rest of my life. How many of you know, as you thank God through that, you're gonna have more and more joy. Biblical, fulfilled joy. In verse 13, he says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In just a few minutes, in fact, if you're a candidate for water baptism, you can go ahead back now. In just a few minutes, we're gonna watch in this water baptism tank a transference taking place. And it's a bold declaration that I have once belonged to the kingdom of darkness. But God has ripped me away from that through his grace and through his love, and he's transferred me into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's what we're gonna watch. It's a beautiful picture of what people go through when they come out of sinful ways and come into the kingdom of the son. It says here in verse 14 that Jesus purchased our freedom and forgiveness of sins. A lot of times when we look at this cross, we're thinking just forgiveness of sins, like he's taken away all the bad stuff. I want you to understand, he's not just forgiven you of your sins. He's cut the chain that used to be attached to your soul that was attached to sin. He's actually released you from being a slave to sin, and now you're attached to God as a slave of righteousness. Is this making sense to you guys? So there's not just wiping away of the bad. There's complete freedom to live above your sin. That's what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to go and live a holy life. So we're not just trying really hard to do it right. No, the Holy Spirit, through His grace, is empowering us to live the right life. In verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Because again, this is not about coming on an Easter Sunday and saying, yes, I, I acknowledge that some man died on a cross and came back to life. Listen to what this verse is saying. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So some people might say, well, I don't know if I want to, I don't know, I don't know about God. I don't want to come to God. You know, and I don't want this God controlling my life that I can't even see and I don't even know what he's like and so on. I want to tell you something. God's not trying to control your life. You're not his puppet. God wants to guide you into the destiny that he had created you for. You were created in the image of God. Sin tears us away from that. When we receive Jesus back into our life, we are given back the value that we were created for. So as we live by the Spirit, we begin to produce fruit of the Spirit, and then we fall into place with the destiny that God created you for. 
So it's not about God like controlling you and taking all your fun away. Some of you say, well, I don't know if I want to give my life to Jesus. He's going to take all the fun away. Like none of us are sitting in monasteries every week, like bored out of our mind. Following Jesus can be an exciting life. It's called faith. Faith is all about risk. Faith can be an adventure. I want you to know God knows how to throw a good party. God knows how to throw a good party. I just think a lot of Christians are uptight. We need to loosen up and celebrate a little bit. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one comes to know him as Lord and Savior. You, you pick, they got the little flutes going, no, not at all. I mean, that place is going crazy with celebration when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. If you've ever read about the lost son, uh, it, it's a parable that Jesus told where the father represents God and the lost son represents all of us who are far from him with the sin. The son takes the father's inheritance. He leaves, he goes away to a far distant land and he wastes all of it, okay? He like messes up big time. So he comes back to the father, like his head held low and his shoulders all low. And he had this speech already prepared for him. And basically what he wanted is he wanted to be a slave in his father's house. That's all he wanted is to be restored to a slave. That son comes back and the dad didn't say, where's my wealth? What did you do with it? You loser, you bum, what happened with this? I can't believe you've been far. No, what he does is the father picks up his robe and he actually runs to the son and he embraces him. And he says, welcome home. And what he does there is he starts to plan the biggest party that this son has ever seen. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe upon his shoulders. He puts the sandals on his feet. And it says that that night they had a great feast, like a whole buffet, all you can eat. And it says that you could hear dancing in the other room. Well, one of the brothers was cranky in the other room, wouldn't partake in it. There was dancing in the other room. So how many of you know following Jesus can be fun? We just need to lose. Can you say amen? Please, somebody help me out. Like, I'm not sure about dancing if you know Jesus. Like, we, we need to start getting a little bit more excited about our Jesus. Because our Father knows how to throw a good party. If you can picture Christ being the visible image of this invisible God that you said you can't see, if you just look in, in the New Testament alone and follow the words of Red, you'll see God through the life of Jesus. You'll see his nature, his character, his attitudes, his love, his grace, even his judgment. You'll see it all, his rebuking. You'll see God's nature in the life of Jesus if you just look. This next sentence says, he existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. I believe that one word supreme, that word supreme means highest in rank and authority. If you forget everything else that was said today, if you can go home knowing in your heart that Jesus is alive and that he is supreme over all creation, I believe that you'll make that jump from coming to a church service and saying, yes, he's alive, to actually waking up tomorrow morning knowing he is still alive. Because when you think about that, if you have faith that he's supreme, then he's supreme over your chaos. He's supreme over the most difficult situation that is in your life right now. If you just believe he's alive and you believe that one verse that he's supreme over everything. Right, there was a song we used to sing if you grew up in church. He's got the whole world in his hands. You think about how vast God is, that, that the, 
that the earth can fit in the palm of his hand. How big does your problem seem to him now? You're not trying to fix your problem. You're not trying to get out of the chaos. You're trying to attach your faith to the one who is supreme over all creation. I want to read you a few verses known just to, just to think about here, and then I, I want to introduce water baptism. In verse 17 of Colossians 1, just listen to the claim of Christ for your own self. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in this physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I don't think I'll ever grasp that fully in my mind. But if you feel like your life is falling apart or you feel like there's guilt always sitting on your shoulders because of decisions that you made, I believe the Bible to be fully true. So I believe those verses that say that Christ reconciled us back to God because of his blood and that we are actually at peace with God. And that last verse says that at the end of time, when God judges each man according to his works, according to his faith, that we who have received Christ as Lord and Savior can actually stand before God. This is the part I'll never be able to grasp fully. That we'll actually stand before the face of God. And he'll be able to look at you. And he'll be able to say, son, daughter, I look at you as being blameless. As being holy. As being without blemish. And you might be thinking like, yeah, right, I can list like 10 things I did just this morning. But it's because of the blood of Christ and it's because of his resurrection that we will be able to stand before him and do that. And that's my heart for you if you're not in that place today. And maybe you won't be there by the end of this service, but I'm believing even over these next 21 days now that God's gonna do a great work. So we have Pastor Todd back here in the water baptismal tank. What we do here at Central is we immerse somebody fully under water. If you look at the original word for baptism in Scripture, it means to dip or to immerse. So we take them all the way under. If they've been a sinner a long time, we keep them under for long. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's just a dip and back up. Jesus actually, because we're following Jesus, Jesus taught us that as we're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we take water baptism seriously. We believe that it should be one of the first acts of obedience as following Jesus. If you look at baptism, baptism is a statement of death, first and foremost. It's a picture that Paul explains that when someone's going down into the water, 
they are, they are, it's a symbol of them dying to their old sinful nature and their old selfish ways. So it's as if they were nailed to the cross with Jesus, and as they're going down into the water, it's as if they're being buried with Jesus. So it's a statement to yourself, it's a statement to the devil, it's a statement to God, it's a statement to anybody watching, that you reckon yourself dead to sin. Now that picture of the water, the washing of the water, is a picture of our sin nature actually being washed away. And it's the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit being regenerated and the Holy Spirit coming in you would be the picture as, as you're rising up out of that water. And as you're coming up out of that water, it's a symbol that you are resurrecting into a brand new life just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It's a beautiful picture of dying to yourself and now living a brand new life with Christ. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.